Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, July 28th, we are studying Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 13. The prophet has faithfully spoken God's word to Judah concerning their plans to go to Egypt, though he holds out little hope they'll listen. And that hunch proves to be quite true, as the remnant of Judah rejects the word of the Lord yet again. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Fantastic. Excellent. We are in Jeremiah chapter 43 today. Uh, part of the scriptures that, as I've mentioned to the last couple of guests, is not always the most familiar to us. So as we look at Jeremiah 43, we are just in the middle of this account of what happens after the fall of Jerusalem in 587 BC. What's there in the context? What's leading up to what we get today that we need to know going in? Sure. Great question. Well, so the the bulk majority of the book of Jeremiah is is sort of like a wind up, right? Like like the pitcher's about to throw. It's the long extended wind up. It's the it's the preparation for Yahweh's judgment upon Judah, right? And uh, so it, in beginning in chapter thirty nine, uh, you find that the punishment is finally going to be meted out. You find that it's finally time for that that pitch to be thrown. It's finally time for uh, for the judgment to fall upon them. And so, uh, yeah, uh, Jerusalem is going to be um, going to be under siege. Jerusalem is going to uh, ultimately fall, uh, and the people are going to be, for the most part, carried off into captivity. Uh, so now Jer- uh, Jeremiah is here. Uh, there's a remnant in Judah, some some people who are kind of left behind. They're out in the hill country of Judah, and um, well, now the question is. Is God going to continue to protect them? Is God going to be faithful as he has promised? And of course, that's where Jeremiah comes down on things is uh, you can trust in God. Um, he is uh, he has punished us. And yet now he will have compassion. He will have mercy on us. He will protect us. Um, but the people aren't going to be about that. The people don't want anything to do uh, with this word from Jeremiah, um, maybe because they're angry, maybe because they're afraid, um, but not afraid of the right the right being, the right entity. Maybe we could put it that way. All right. They, they certainly don't fear God. The, yeah. the word of God came to Jeremiah in chapter 42, and it was that uh, an extended section of Jeremiah speaking for the Lord. And he, he made it very plain to them what God said. Yeah. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here. And, and it's very clear what's going to happen in either case. If they stay in Judah, they'll live. If they go to Egypt, they'll die. And, and what was humorous, I don't know if that's the right word, a little humorous in a sad way, though, is that Jeremiah did seem to anticipate their answer already at the end of chapter 42. Right. And I think that, you know, it's it's helpful for us to remember um, that, you know, while these are... Um, these are literal events and these are literal places, uh, but there also is a little bit of a, a symbolism that goes on here where um, in the Old Testament, anytime that you're going to Egypt, it's not for good. Right. I mean, when Abram winds up in Egypt, uh, he winds up in trouble. Um, when 
when Joseph winds up in Egypt, he winds up in trouble. And yes, he winds up, you know, able to save his his family and, you know, the, the promised uh, um, uh, Messiah, the messianic line. Um, all of that is saved through Egypt. But then what winds up happening? I mean, the Egyptian captivity, slavery, you know, for uh, for several generations. So anytime that God's people are going to Egypt, uh, either for help or for consolation for solace, um, they're going the wrong direction. Uh, and we actually just, uh, you know, covered this uh, in Bible class uh, not too long ago uh, at Holy Cross. We were talking about the fact that uh, all the way back um, in uh, in the book of, uh, of Genesis, you actually see uh, that uh, of the sons of Ham, right, the, the bad line that comes from Noah, <laughs> Um, Egypt is one of them, right? And so all the way going back to Genesis 10, um, our ears should kind of perk up anytime that Egypt shows up because that, that kind of means trouble for God's people, right? And we're going to see that through Egypt's idolatry, uh, through Egypt's worship of false gods, uh, and, and we're going to see it here uh, as well as they, the people of God, they make that choice to go towards Egypt. They make that choice to say, ah, "We're gonna, we're gonna hedge our bets, and we're going to, uh, we're gonna go ahead and go with the other guy." Right. So, I mean, and this is we talked a little bit about this yesterday that the people of God, particularly after the Exodus from Egypt, and right away after the Exodus from Egypt, there, there's always this pull back to Egypt. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And they. When you look in the book of Exodus, particularly, and, and the books that follow, they're describing their wilderness wanderings. They have a very selective memory when it comes yeah. to Egypt. They, they talk about the the meat and the, the cucumbers and all these different great things they think they had there, seemingly forgetting the fact that they were slaves there the yeah. whole time. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but I'm curious your thoughts. What what was that pull toward toward Egypt? And, and one of the thoughts that I had yesterday that we didn't get, we didn't really have time to talk about is that I wonder if there's a, a parallel with the way that the people of Egypt, excuse me, the people of Israel have this desire to go back to Egypt that's similar to the way we Christians have this thought that if we can continue in our sin, life's actually going to be better for us, not realizing mm. that that's slavery for us, that, that maybe the people of Israel have, they show us that in the Old Testament. They have this desire to go back to Egypt thinking that'll be good. In fact, it's slavery. Yeah. Sometimes we are pulled toward sin thinking that it'll be good, but in fact, that's slavery. And in both cases, the Lord constantly has to speak his word to us and remind us what slavery really is and right. what freedom is under him. So two thoughts on that. And, and I like the way that you framed that. <clears throat> the first thing that I'll say is I think you could look at it through the lens of saying that Israel was looking for um, slavery, uh, maybe, maybe security in spite of its slavery if that makes sense. And so uh, when, when they lived in Egypt, uh, yeah, they were, they were whipped and beaten. Yeah, they were under the thumb of, Ther- of Pharaoh, but at least they knew where their next meal was coming from, right? And, and I mean, you could counter that by saying, in the wilderness, did God not feed you bread every morning and, and quail every evening? Did he not cause water to sprout forth from rocks and, and springs and things? Um, and that's absolutely true, but that part is a little bit less known. And so you've got the, uh, the security um, uh, that comes with slavery, but you've also uh, you've got that memory that comes with it. And memory is something that's deceptive because when we remember the way that something was, you know, we, we, I thought where you were going was to say that, you know, we in the church look back to, I don't know, the 1950s. The good old days. The good old days. And we say, man, if we could just get all of our ducks back in that row, you know, then everything would be great. 
which is that's the I mean that's the quintessential problem, and that's why that is such idolatry, um, is because we idolize that which we remember, and we look at that and we say, well, you know, that's that's obviously the best that things have ever been, which is not true. Um, and so our, our memories have a way of, um, of lying to us, deceiving us. Uh, and really what I think is at the heart of this is that, um, it's a walking by sight and not by faith, right? Because what do they say about uh, 2020 hindsight, right? Um, everybody's a great Monday morning quarterback, you know, when thing, when you've already experienced something, when you've already been there and done that, you know, um, the good and the bad of it, at least from your you know, marred sinful perspective. Um, and what God is inviting us to and what God is challenging Israel to in the wilderness and what God is suggesting to Judah here in Jeremiah 43 is that what presses on in front of us is something that you receive by faith. Right. I mean, these are the people who have watched Jerusalem, the great mighty city. Um, they've watched it fall. Uh, these are people who've watched their their kinsmen carried off in captivity. Um, and now they're saying, you know, Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, um, stay here. Don't go somewhere else with a bigger wall. Stay here and trust that I will protect you, that I will provide for you. Um, and the people are just uh, they've got faith in front of them which is unknown, or they've got kind of, you know, there once was a time when, when our people went back, you know, went to Egypt and Egypt actually was not as bad as, you know, as memory, if memory serves, you know, that kind of a deal. So I don't know if, I don't know if I answered your question, but I said some things. Well, and I think, I, I do think that that fits this, this call to faith, not sight is quite applicable given where Judah is at this point in the book yeah. of Jeremiah, because from a, a human perspective, Going to Egypt makes a lot more sense than sticking around in Judah, because what's happened there in Judah in the aftermath of Jerusalem's fall is this civil war of sorts, these roving bands of warriors, a wild, wild west type situation is what it's been called previously. And Babylon has shown themselves to be quite ruthless when it comes to dealing with Judah so far. Judah has once again put itself in a situation where it would seem that Babylon's going to come in with a heavy hand again. Fleeing to Egypt makes a lot of sense in that context. And even geographically, it makes sure. some sense to, to flee that direction. Right. <laughs> go away from Babylon. That's right. Go towards Egypt. Right. Yeah. To a nation that, even though it has been defeated at various points by sure. Babylon, still has some semblance of protection, again, just by virtue of geography, if nothing else. Yeah. But, and this is the key, Jeremiah yeah. has said from the Lord, don't do that. Right. Don't go to Egypt and and instead trust trust the Lord. Tell do what He has said, knowing that what He said will come true. And and what's what's just amazing about it in the previous chapter is that you have in in chapter forty two one of the most fantastic promises Jeremiah makes. Yeah. You know, if you if you stay here in Judah, the Lord's going to be merciful to you. The disaster that He's brought has passed. It's done. It's over. Stay here, and it will go well. And and we've kind of been waiting for that from Jeremiah. For quite some time. It's time for the building and the planting. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and he finally gives it. Well, and, and here let's let's get into what they do. Sure. So and we've, we've been hitting at this all along. Jeremiah kind of knows it's coming from the end of 42 and he gets the response that he, he thought was coming. So this is Jeremiah 43 beginning at the first verse. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, all these words of the Lord, their God, with which the Lord, their God had sent him to them. Azariah, the son of Hoshea and Johanan, the son of Kariah. And all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. 
the Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there, but Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they'd been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. And they came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And they arrived at Toppenes. That's through verse 7 of the chapter. So, again, what we've been saying all along, the people don't listen, they decide to go to, to Egypt. Pastor Beck, as, as the text gets started, Jeremiah, he's finished speaking, the people are going to respond. And I mean, they're very direct. They, they don't beat around the bush. <laughs> you know, they just say to Jeremiah, you're lying to us. God right. didn't say that. We're going to do what we want. But even before they start speaking, uh, you notice how uh, how it's recorded here. We have the, the list of names. And then it says, and all of the insolent men, right? I think another way of reading that is, or another way of translating that is all the prideful men, mm. right? All the people who thought that they know best. Um, and that Doesn't that tell us from the get-go what they're about to say? The ones who are insolent, the ones who are going to be um, stiff-necked and and backwards, the ones who are going to put up a fight against this. um, Yeah, they're the ones that start speaking. And, uh, and, And sure enough, I mean, this it's interesting to me the the way that they respond, because they, they think that, um, they think that Jeremiah, they think that um, his scribe, uh, Baruch, they think that, that these guys are now, uh, you know, cat's paws of the, the Babylonians over here, the Chaldeans. They're like, no, you guys are working for the enemy, right? Um, and it's, it's almost like when something terrible happens, you got to blame somebody, right? And they're like, I mean, Jeremiah, you were telling us all this bad stuff was going to happen and that God was angry with us. And then all this bad stuff happened. So clearly you're in league with the other guys. Um, I, I find it interesting that that's the way that they sort of, is, is that called projection? Do they, do they project their frustrations, their, their fears, their insecurities on it? Like, I don't know could be i mean i do i do think it's it's something particularly the way they single out baruch in yeah, verse I know. three right that that somehow baruch is the the bad guy almost almost letting jeremiah off the hook a little bit maybe you yeah. know, they're, they're saying look this is not coming from the lord it's coming from from baruch and i'm not sure where they get that idea i don't i don't see anything else in the book of jeremiah when jeremiah interacts with baruch that would indicate there's some sort of potential division there it it does seem like they're just sort of making that up (laughs) but and 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 maybe you know this is they're looking for anything any kind of handle to avoid this word of the lord whatever that may be whether it's you know just down and out you're telling a lie this isn't from god it's from baruch they're looking for for something that can enable them to have what they think is ground to stand on so that they can ignore what the Lord has said and right. do what they want to do and go to Egypt. Well, and this is such a, I mean, you can just, you can almost see, like you just said, I mean, you're telling a lie. That's one accusation. Uh, Yahweh, our God did not send you to say, do not go up to Egypt to live there. 
That's another thing, right? And then Baruch, the son of uh, Neriah, has set you against us, deliver us in the hand of the Chaldeans so they may take us or kill us and uh, the exile in Babylon. So, I mean, there's there's all of these different accusations that are coming against them, um, and only the middle one even really deals with God, hmm. right? Uh, but they just say, ah, God didn't say that. There's there's none of, I mean, they're, they're not having a theological conversation right here. <laughs> um, they're instead having what I, I I guess we can go ahead and just say it. They're having a political discourse, you know, um, on the one hand, I can't blame them because, you know, they're, um, they're entrusted with the lives of these people, um, that are here in exile or here, the remnant that's with them. Um, they're, they're concerned, uh, obviously about a, a bigger, badder army that might come back for seconds, you know? Uh, and so I see, I guess I can see where they're coming from. Uh, but of course, when you have the word of God uh, on the other side, you know, there is that, that moment when you just say, you know, um, choose this day whom you're going to serve, right? You got on the one hand, you got God. And on the other hand, you've got all of those other fears and all of those other, um, what your reason and all of your senses are telling you. Sure. You and and yeah, they certainly, I think they do couch their language in this political conversation yeah. about what are the Chaldeans? What are these Babylonians going to come back and do? They're either going to kill us and, or exile us. And Jeremiah, you're on their side, not on ours. Yeah. But there is that theology that is behind it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you're telling a lie. The Lord didn't send you. Reminds me of some of the the conflict that Jeremiah had earlier in his ministry with the false prophets. Yeah. Particularly, guys like Hananiah, who Jeremiah would very clearly tell them, you know, you didn't stand in the council of God. You haven't heard from the the Lord. You're just saying your own dreams, your own thoughts, whatever it is that came to your mind. The true prophet has been sent by the Lord, which which goes to what, you know, Jeremiah was told in, in verse one, that the Lord was the one who sent Jeremiah. Right. They directly contradict that. I find it, I find it ironic that in at the beginning of chapter 42, it was these very people who actually sent Jeremiah to the Lord in the first place. They said, hey, Jeremiah, please pray for us. Tell us what the word of the Lord is. We're sending you to him. Jeremiah faithfully does that. And now he's been sent back. And these people who at the very beginning again of chapter 42, like in the book of Exodus, say, we're going to do whatever God says. <laughs> well, I guess maybe their their way of getting around that is, well, God didn't say that, so we don't have to yeah. keep up our end of the bargain. I, th- I think that's what's going on. Yeah. It's it's easy to to discount the messenger, right? And I mean, I, I don't I don't want to <clears throat> I don't want to be too um, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say I don't want to be too applicable, but a lot of this is very applicable. Right. Because there are times when uh, in, in the 21st century, people don't like what the word of God says. And so what's what's one of their chief tactics to get out from under that? God didn't really say that. That's right. That was that was just Paul. Yep. Well, and, and this yeah. is this was what I, I wrote this down in some of my notes. The, the question and maybe maybe you've been asked this. You know, Pastor, can you tell me your opinion on cremation? Can you tell me your opinion on whatever topic you want to bring up? Or, or and, and it doesn't have to be a pastor. You know, you can, yeah. this could be a faithful lay person. I know you go to the Lutheran church. What, what's the Lutheran church's opinion? Or what's the Lutheran church's thought? You know, and, and just phrasing the question that way right. allows you an out. <laughs> you know, what's what's your or maybe the word you know you might throw out the word interpretation. Yeah, you know, we have a variety of ways of of keeping just that 
one little escape route right. around whatever is given so that if if the pastor or the faithful Christian you know gives an answer from the word of God that the questioner doesn't like well then they can say oh that's that's an interesting opinion that's a nice right. opinion that's, that's your and thoughts. then I don't have to actually do anything about it right and that's that's you know the the importance of being uh, well acquainted with the, the sacred scriptures that's the importance of, of being able to uh, to understand and to already know going into the conversation um, where scripture speaks and where it doesn't because there are a whole slew of things that you know people will ask us as pastors or people will ask uh, you know your everyday run-of-the-mill Christian hey you know what what do you believe about this? And um, it's always best when you can say, here's what the Bible teaches about this, right? And you can actually show them in the scriptures, well, here's what here's what Jesus had to say about it, or here's what St. Paul, uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, said. You know, uh, it, it's nice when you can do that because then it becomes less and less and less about you and more and more and more about, well, this is what God has said, right? Um, and I think that that, um, that backs up our understanding of scripture as Lutherans. Uh, to be able to say, uh, we just believe what the Bible says. You know, there's there's a lot of churches uh, in our in our uh, in our world today um, that on their on their sign out front it says Bible believing Christians, right? And I think that um, I think the Lutherans we kind of we cornered the market on that. You know, 500 years ago or so. Um, yeah, but I'm not I'm not trying to to make light of anybody. But I'm just saying like that that really is our heritage. That really is our bread and butter. Um, and so that's that's where we can where we can find um, surety, uh, it's where we can find certainty, uh, is to say, yes, this is what scripture says, and so this is what we believe. Sure. And I think that's, you know, we always want to have that as our solid foundation. What does God's word actually say? So that if an accusation like this comes, we we can simply say, well, this is what God says. It's not my opinion. It's not what I think. It is simply what God says. And so your problem, if you disagree, isn't with me or the Lutheran Church or Synod Incorporated. Your problem is with God's Word, right? Um, now, there are a number of things that we do get to have, you know, sanctified wisdom and common sense opinions about. And some of those opinions will differ from person to person. And that's just fine, right? Uh, but we do need to be uh, very clear about when Scripture has spoken uh, that we do hold God's word uh, before ourselves as, as the standard um, by which all of our doctrine, all of our beliefs, all of our opinions <clears throat> are, I'm sorry, I just had to clear my throat. That wasn't <laughs> mentioned to you. Uh, all of our opinions are normed by scripture. So we always go back to the word of God. That's right. I mean, and that's what Jeremiah has done so faithfully throughout yeah. his ministry, which is just, I mean, it's amazing. And we'll see this as the book of Jeremiah continues beyond today's text, but how even with all the, the persecution that he's faced, with all the opposition that he's faced, he continues to speak the word of God faithfully yeah. and to stand on that, that solid ground that God has given him, whatever the Lord has spoken to Jeremiah, he repeats, but he is, he's continually met with this opposition. The opposition that he, he told them was coming at the end of his response in chapter 42. It comes right here. I mean, why do they, why do they keep doing this? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that if you answer that question, you know, I think that this radio show can come to an end right. because you figured out all of the problems with humanity. Um, I mean, the, cre- the question here is really why do people reject God's word? Yeah. 
you know, and I mean, if you want to get an answer to that question, you should probably find a, a means or an apparatus with which to ask Adam and Eve, because that's the that's the age old question. That's the, the question of sin, um, which I think we've said before on this program together, the two of us, that sin just doesn't make sense. And the fact that people would reject the word of the living God doesn't make sense. And it's not going to make sense to us. Um, but if we before we get too far out in front of our skis here, uh, we should probably that's a. It's a skiing metaphor. I've never been skiing. I read about it once. Okay. Yeah. So I'm an expert. I saw a YouTube video on it. <laughs> Um, before we get too far in front of ourselves here, um, let's just say this, that before we are throwing uh, the, the Judean remnant under the bus, before we're throwing the wilderness wandering Israelites or Adam and Eve under the bus here, uh, we need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Um, you know, do you sin? Well, Yes, actually, I do. Not proud of it, but I do, right? Um, well, God's word specifically says to not to. We, we say that in Texas. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think they that's like a double negative that they use in Greek, too. To so. not to. That's yeah. right. Yes. I don't know. Anyways, um, God's word specifically says to not to. And so if you do that, well, then uh, you reject God's word. And so uh, what, is the, what is the response to rejecting God's word? Well, it's obviously to repent. It's to repent and to believe the gospel, right? Uh, but that question of, of why do people reject God's word, uh, it's a fascinating one because there's um, maybe an infinite number of reasons why. And maybe also it just boils down to one that we don't think that God does as good of a job of being God as, as we would do. I think that's really at the heart of yeah. it, uh, is to say that, that these, uh, these, these poor <laughs> Judeans uh, here, this remnant, um, they're looking and they're saying, you know what, um, even if God has said that we should stay here for protection, you know, I think it would be better for us if we did this. And so they'll try to they'll try to flower it up. They'll try to to add all of their rhetoric to it. Nah, you're lying to us. You know, you're 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 working for working for the enemy here. They'll try to add all that kind of stuff. But at the at the very core of it um, is that they want to be like God. They want to they want to be God. And so they say, you know, the word of the Lord may even say stay in Judah, uh, but the word of of me says. Now we're going to go somewhere with bigger walls. We're going to go, we're going to put some miles between us and the Babylonians. We're going to, we're going to go to this place that um, is, is a little bit more remote uh, for our own protection. Mm -hmm. And again, in terms of things that are applicable, I think that that's um, people today have, have turned uh, rejecting and ignoring God's word into an art form. Sure. And, and as, as we can see from Jeremiah and again, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Yeah. It's really been an art form all along, uh -huh. and we, we've come up with different ways of, of going into maybe different media of, of using that art. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably mixing my metaphors there, but I think you've, you've accurately identified the real issue at hand, which is the first commandment. Yeah. Who does a better job at being God? Right. Is it me or is it him? And, and it, as you said, and I think this is just a, a, a point that we really can't emphasize enough, sin doesn't make sense. Right. It, and seeing it here in, in such at least what seems to you and me, I think, as such an obvious fashion that it right. doesn't make sense to go against what God has said helps us because there's plenty of times where we do think going against God makes sense. Of course, it makes sense for, for me to, to act in this way, even though God says, and here's reasons one, two, three, four, five, however many reasons we can come up with because we're, we're great at that. But seeing these obvious examples, I think, helps us in our own self-examination, when we find ourselves going against God to see that, oh, maybe 
maybe that doesn't make sense. And right. and I know you want to say something, Pastor Beck, but we really need to take our break. That's just fine. So we're going to do that. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking Jeremiah chapter 43 with Pastor Dustin Beck. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, July 28th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 13 with Pastor Dustin Beck of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warded, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we were looking at those first couple verses of chapter 43, discussing the just complete insanity of not listening to God's word. And yet we do it over and over again. And so the Lord calls us to repent. He calls us back to his word. He gives us faithful prophets and faithful pastors, men like Jeremiah, to call us back to that word, to be faithful. These remnant, these this remnant here in Judah does not listen. They've declared to Jeremiah as such. So verses four through seven tell us that they did precisely what they were going to do. Johanan, the leader of this group, ultimately all the people are driven by these insolent men to leave the land of Judah. They end up in Toponese, Egypt, which is just on the eastern side of the Nile Delta. It's kind of between the Delta and the Sinai Peninsula. Oh, okay. From, from my quick research this morning. So they, they're just entering into the land of Egypt. And they take Jeremiah and Baruch with them. Any yeah. any thoughts on this description of their flight to Egypt? Well, I think, um, first of all, I, I was thinking about this because it's it's almost kind of, I don't know. When I, when I was reading through the text and preparing for this morning, you know, I was looking at it and I said, they took, they took Jeremiah and Baruch with them. Well, that's, you know, I, I, you would think that they would like leave the naysayers behind. Uh, but, you know, I mean, if they're already accusing these two of being spies or at least Baruch, you know, um, well, what do you what do you think they're going to do if you uh, if you leave them behind? Well, they're going to you know as soon as the Chaldeans roll up to kill or drag us away into exile, they're going to be like, now nah, they're in Egypt, <laughs> which they're going to wind up doing. That's anyways. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, and I think I think you're right because uh, from from one one way of looking at it is like, sure. well, why not just kill them? Oh, which yeah. I suppose they could have done all along. The Lord would have been, been an abrupt ending to the book. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. But or why not leave them behind? But I think you're exactly right that. It's got to be because, and just given the way they're thinking, it's got to be because they're afraid they're going to rat them out yeah. and, and tell them, hey, that's where they went. Go take care of them. And I mean, they, they think they're working with the enemy. So what do you do with a spy? You you make sure he can't right. can't rat you out. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And and so this, this little section here, verses four to seven, um, it really comes to a head in verse seven when it explicitly states, and they came into the land of Egypt for what? <laughs> For they did not obey the voice of Yahweh. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that's all that you need to know here um, is that God's people are being faithless. As soon as we know that they're being faithless, as soon as we know that they're in Egypt, uh, we know that there's a problem. We know that, well, that's 
that's going to be an issue for them, right? Um, and it, it almost immediately will. You know, that's that's what's coming next in the text. But um, yeah, so you've got kind of the whole kit and caboodle. You've got all of the all of the folks of this remnant um, that are that are being uh, led out by Johanan, uh, and they're they're off in Egypt. They're as a man, you know, to the to the very last one of them, they're uh, they're taking part in this act of disobedience. It's it's maybe worth at least a moment to think about Jeremiah and the scope of his ministry at this point. Yeah. I mean, he got started under King Josiah in the 620s BC, and here we are in the 580s BC. So this is a lengthy ministry, and just right. think about what he's gone through. He he got to start under that faithful King Josiah, right? But then the too from, little, too late King. That's right. <laughs> and, and from there, and 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 that's part of Jeremiah's preaching is that what Josiah did, while you certainly see good things externally, yeah, in the hearts of the people, it by and large, did not take root. And from there, I mean, just you can see why he's called the weeping prophet. And yeah. even here, where, where Jeremiah probably would have been happy to just retire and and ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's at the end of his ministry and here he's being carted off to Egypt as a, a prisoner. I Pretty mean, much, yeah. You, you feel for the guy. Right. It's certainly not a call that you would wish on any, uh, any uh, pastor. You know, that's right. <laughs> Lord, please don't give me a call like Jeremiah's, um, because yeah, it's you don't you don't get to be the good news guy yeah. um, all that much when there's not good news to be spoken. Right? Yeah, know? and and Lord, Lord, strengthen me when I have right. a call like Jeremiah's. Right, you know? exactly. Or, or when the because as as we've said, you know what we see from the people in this section of of Jeremiah forty three is what crops up in us sinners, us sinners, pastors included, yeah. all the time. Yeah, so we, we pastors would certainly pray for the faithfulness of Jeremiah, but um, only if it's God's will would we pray for the uh, the, the circumstances of Jeremiah. <laughs> right, right. And it, I mean, you know, think about it just, and this dawned on me yet again, Jeremiah had been given the choice by the Babylonian commander yeah. whether to stay in Judah or go to Babylon. And we talked a little bit about that, that sticking around there in Judah fits with Jeremiah's faithfulness, that yeah. he hasn't abandoned the people and sure. he, he doesn't even now. And and what's, what's I think, just very important and striking is that in the next verse, so we'll read this in verse eight, they've gone to Egypt, but still the word of the Lord comes. Indeed. Yeah. So the rest of the chapter now in Jeremiah 43, verse eight, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Toppenese. Take in your hands large stones and hide them in the mortar in the pavement that is at the entrance of the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in Toppenese, in the sight of the men of Judah, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt giving over to the pestilence those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who are doomed to captivity, and to the sword those who are doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive. And he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin, and he shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire." That is the end of Jeremiah chapter 43. So Pastor Beck, the the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Again, that's not surprising to us. This is what's been happening throughout Jeremiah's ministry. The fact that it happens in Egypt, I think is an important reminder. And maybe we can talk about this. You know, you're not going to get away from the Lord's word. He's he's going to, to still speak to you no matter where you are. And now the way 
that the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah is something that we've seen in the book multiple times, but it's been several chapters. The Lord gives Jeremiah an object lesson. So take us into what's what's going on here. Sure. So th- this one is pretty straightforward, right? Uh, he says to take these, these large rocks, uh, to set them up. Uh, into the mortar, into the driveway, basically, uh, here of the king's palace. Um, and basically, uh, you know, I mean, it's almost kind of like he's setting up stumbling blocks, right? He's setting up roadblocks. He's setting up a small barricade uh, here at the at the king's place. Uh, and the point of this is to say, you know, and he gives the interpretation almost immediately, right? I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, which is super weird, right? Uh, he's going to send him uh, and he's going to be this kind of a stumbling block. He's going to, uh, his throne will be above, right above these stones where you've hidden them um, and he will spread his canopy out over them. I mean, this is, uh, this is kind of part and parcel in Jeremiah where you have uh, God commanding Jeremiah to do something. And then he says, this is going to, uh, the, you know, you'll remember this when this happens, right? So Jeremiah is actually going to witness this take place. Um, but I, I find it interesting uh, that, that this is the way that he chooses uh, to, uh, to put out his, uh, his message is he says, go and do this thing so that when this happens, you'll remember it so that, you know, my word will be confirmed among you. Um, and so you have uh, this this promise uh, from God, uh, this, this promise of judgment, right, against the Egyptians uh, that says, you know, the people who are trusting more in Egypt than in me, um, they will fall just like Judah did originally and Jerusalem did originally uh, when Nebuchadnezzar comes and, and puts a beating down on them. Right. That's, an ex- that's a technical expression. That's puts right. A, puts a beaten. Well, he did. Down that's, on them. That's what happens when right. Nebuchadnezzar comes to town. He he puts a beaten down on whoever. It's a technical there. expression. That is a very technical expression that yeah. that comes from the Hebrew, I think. Yes. So I, I think I mean with this image, you know, and I'm not sure how. I don't want to take it too far, but you know, he's hiding these stones. Right. The the people, and I think you get this picture from them. They think they're going to be able to hide. Yeah. In Egypt. And the reality is, no, you're not going to be able to hide from Nebuchadnezzar, which ultimately means you're not going to be able to hide from God. the Lord. Yeah. Right? And, and so you, you mentioned, I'll let you talk a little about this, because we've seen this in Jeremiah, and it's, it's true in other prophets, where Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, is called the servant of the Lord. So what's the significance of that? Right. Uh, basically, the significance is that God is God, and he is going to do what he is going to do, um, even if it's through... Um, through a vehicle or a tool or um, uh, through through a person that we would not necessarily expect him to use, right? Um, and so this is this is one of those uh, one of those times when it's it's kind of risky and it's it's hazardous for uh, for us to assign motives to assign um, theophany, right? To to say that God is is working in this way for this reason. We don't do that today nearly as much. We know that God is working, uh, but to specifically say God is you know, using so-and-so or such-and-such nation to bring about this, um, we're not necessarily allowed to do that. And I, I, would, I would caution against it. Yes, God is active and God is, is, is moving and God is working in the world today. Um, but without a thus saith the Lord 
<laughs> from a prophet. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're in a little bit more uh, tenuous situation as far as actually assigning motives to what is going on in world politics. But when the prophets say that Nebuchadnezzar or, or Cyrus or, or whoever is my servant, um, that means that he's, he's the one, the, the vehicle by which God's will is being done. And in this particular instance, uh, it is God's will uh, to crush uh, these these folks in Egypt and these, uh, by extension, uh, this remnant from Judah. And so, yeah, I mean that that does cause us to raise our eyebrows a little bit whenever we uh, whenever we come across Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Well, I thought he's the bad guy in all of this. Well, I mean, you know, when when you find yourself on at odds with God. Um, it's not that God or his agent is the bad guy. It's actually that you are the bad guy. And that's where, that's where Judah finds themselves. And that's uh, obviously with Egypt as well. Uh, so I think that's, what's kind of coming to play here. Sure. And, and we, we should be careful as to how precisely we talk about things like this today. We certainly know, as you said, that the Lord is active and at work among say the governments of this world, the, right. the powers of this world, that he is the one who is the author of history, directing it for his purposes for both judgment and ultimately for grace for his people that we, we always want to keep that in mind. So we want to be careful about how specific we are about those things without losing sight of the fact that God is quite active in history. And we, we certainly don't want to rule him out of the equation, if I right. can say it that way, such that we think it's all a game of politics, which yeah. is perhaps what the people of Judah are thinking at this point. If we just play the right side of the politics, we can avoid the Lord. Right. But I mean, I mean, people nowadays, you know, they, they do that even with natural disasters. Right. Which, I mean, was no different in the Old Testament times. Right. Um, you know, that why did this, why did this great thing befall us? Why did the Tower of Siloam fall on those, on those young men? Right. Uh, I mean, you've got uh, the great earthquake in Amos. You've got, uh, but, you know, people nowadays will be like, well, you know, was hurricane such and such as as God's judgment for so and so was you know and it's like well God certainly judges sin but we haven't been given word by a specific prophet that's you know because the prophets have ceased now that uh, God has spoken not through prophets nor apostles but now through His Son right um, now um, we have uh, you know we don't have a one for one kind of pin the tail on the the disaster or the politic you know that, that is going out and saying well this is clearly God at work um, you can say this might be God at work or you know and what what is the the generic the general truth um, is God calling us to repentance here yes very good answer right <laughs> always <Yeah. laughs> always god is calling us to repent and to believe the gospel that's what he does and so i think that you know in terms of our own application for today um when bad things happen when things cause us to to gasp in horror when a pandemic strikes are we still talking are we still allowed to talk I about that so. yeah i mean when when things like that happen is that a call to repentance yes uh, of what sin all sin right it's it, it's it's that simple Right. Um, and and should that cause us to try to walk in the righteous path even more? Yeah, I think it should. Right. And, you know, I mean, for that matter, not to get political at all, but there is a call for us to be political creatures. There is a call for us to be, you know, um, in this world, although not of it. Our citizenship is in heaven. And yet at the same time, you know, we do have a responsibility to care for the for the, the widow and the orphan, to care for the downtrodden and the poor, right? So how do we love those people? How do we care for those people um, in a way that at the same time doesn't um, step uh, against God's own will and God's own word of justice? 
So yeah, no, I think a big I, topic, right? It is a big topic, and and I think perhaps we can emphasize with the words "my servant" that it's it's my servant. This God's, is the yeah. Lord's servant, yeah. and and He is the one at work. And in those places today, where maybe we are asking those questions, to keep in mind the words of Jesus, you brought them up from Luke thirteen about you know what about these people? The tower fell on them, or Pilate mixed their blood with the sacrifices. Yeah. Those are the two examples I think he used. Right. You know, his his response is ultimately, "You repent." Yeah. lest you perish. Right. And so whatever it is that we see, is is God calling us to repent? Yes, most certainly. Is yeah. there a particular thing? Well, you know, I mean, I think Luther's instruction in the small catechism is helpful. Look at your life, your vocation, according to the Ten Commandments, right. and you'll find plenty to yeah. repent, <laughs> right? yeah. disaster or not, but particularly in the case of disaster. And yeah. that's, I, th- I think we need to be careful so that we don't lose that too, that we don't forget. Well, no, I don't know what the, I mean, can I say that God's judgment was for this particular thing for, with the pandemic? I can't say that. Right. Should I see the pandemic and repent? Yes. And if I don't, am I missing something? Yes. Yeah, I am. And also, I, I should point out that with Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, um, that you know, you got to put the shoe on the other foot too. So everything that Nebuchadnezzar did was according to God's will. No, that's not that's what right. we're saying. <laughs> that's right. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant insofar as he is punishing the unbelief of Judah, Jerusalem, and now Egypt. Right. That is the way in which Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant. Okay. That's so it's right. not a carte blanche. Whatever idolatry or pagan beliefs right. Nebuchadnezzar held to God was in support of. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to, we're going to be covering the book of Habakkuk in a few weeks here on sharper iron because it falls in the same time period. Yeah. And Habakkuk deals with this very question. When, when the Lord tells Habakkuk, don't worry, Judah's evil is going to be judged by the Babylonians. Habakkuk says, say what? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're worse. And, and, and this is, Jeremiah is going to deal with this as well. In chapter 50, there's going to be a lengthy judgment on Babylon. So yeah. it's not like Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon gets off because they're God's servant. They too are judged for yeah. their sins as well. And I think, I think that does help us into the rest of this text, because I think it's, it's quite telling what ends up happening when Nebuchadnezzar comes as the servant of the Lord or is sent as the servant right. of the Lord he to does Egypt. God's will almost he, by accident, right? That's right. He ends up judging the gods of Egypt, yeah. now Judah along with them. And that's ultimately why this judgment comes. But it's not like the Lord was pleased with the idolatry of Egypt. Not at all. That's, that's where the, the rest of the text really focuses. So take us into the, these last couple of verses. Yeah. Is, isn't it crazy and ironic when uh, Nebuchadnezzar shows up and, uh, you know, the, uh, the priests of Egypt, I'm sure as their obelisks are being toppled, as their temples are being torn down, they're like, you know, this hasn't happened since wait, Israel was around the last time that this took place. (laughs) This hasn't happened since the book of Exodus. I mean, when God shows up, um, yeah, he's going to punish unbelief. He's going to punish idolatry. Um, And I love, you know, again, um, not to take away from the fact that these are literal historic events that actually took place, but to kind of widen our gaze a little bit, to use a wide angle lens and to say, doesn't this sound a lot like what's going to happen to the whole earth when Jesus comes again in glory? Because every principality, everyone that doesn't bow the knee uh, to to God in Christ, uh, everyone that has their own idol and their own God and their own image of themselves propped up into a place that it never should have been, all of those things are going to be toppled down. I mean, that's the weird thing about here is that Nebuchadnezzar here is, he's almost a type of Christ, right? He's almost, he's the one that's coming in to do warfare and to win against idolatry. 
right? And so there is almost, I mean, maybe I'm stretching a little thin here, but there is kind of that idea, you know, and especially if you forget the part at the beginning that talks about the fact that this is Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. But if you just start at my servant, and I will set him above these stones as I have hidden uh, and spread his royal canopy over them, he shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to pestilence those who are doing to pestilence. I mean, this kind of sounds like the Jesus that comes in glory, right? I mean, I'm, I'm fresh off of a couple of months ago studying Revelation uh, at Faith Lutheran High School in, in Central Texas, right? Uh, and and so, man, this sounds like Jesus coming and, you know, all of the, the end of the world falling, you know, things falling apart. And, and here's what it looks like is um, when you trust in things that are not God, right? And I do say things very intentionally because everything that is not God is a thing, right? It's, it's part of creation. God is the only thing that is he's not even a thing. God is the only being that is outside of creation. And so everything else in creation is a thing. And if you put your trust in those things, if your fear is of those things, those are all passing away. This creation has an expiration date, right? And so everything is fading away. Everything, not a, not a stone will be here left one on top of another right? Everything is fading away. And so, you know, you Judahites, you folks who are fleeing uh, from the hill country of Judah, where God has said, I will protect you. um, And you go to be protected elsewhere by things. um, That stuff's not going to last. And for the folks in uh, the the exiles here in Egypt, uh, this comes to a head very quickly. They're going to see that when you don't trust in God, um, everything else, you know, it it just doesn't last. It doesn't, it doesn't offer the protection that he does. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to chew on that a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, I well, talked a lot. No, that's okay. The 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 my servant. What what you did there when you said you know in verse ten, start at my servant and go forward and see yeah. how this matches up with the judgment that we do see the Lord give, and ultimately on the last day in Christ. I think there's there's something there. Uh, I'm not sure about the language of saying Nebuchadnezzar is a type of Christ. Well, only but, in but this I get, very I, I do, limited. I do get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I do get what you're saying. That in this act, this is the this is like what the Lord does, you know, in miniature here in the the 580s. Also, I think in some of the reading I did that Nebuchadnezzar does show up in Egypt in the 560s BC. Right, yeah. So, so what he does there is a, a foreshadow of what Christ does. What what strikes? I mean, I, yeah, I, and I I'm, said he's almost a type. Yes, of no, I understand. I understand. I understand. I'm not. I'm not just according I, to Christ's yeah, judgment. Just the way you phrase it. I've, oh, man, I have to think about that. So what? But I do find it telling that what what happens. Judah is the one that the Lord is judging here. Yeah. It's their sin. Right. But Egypt gets wrapped up in this. Yep. And I love the way that you said. You know, they're like the last time this happened was, <laughs> and that, that I think that's exactly right. That in the process of Judah being shown what false gods are and Uh their own idolatry, Egypt also gets shown the same thing. And there's a, there's a call to repentance for Egypt that would have come anyway, but comes sooner because of Judah being there as well. And this is, this is, you know, part and parcel, uh, an example of what is going wrong with God's people, Judah. Right. Because the whole call of Judah uh, was to be the glory of God um, and to be a light for the Gentiles. Right. You know, and instead they're following the Gentiles. They're following the Egyptians in their idolatry. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to chew on here as far as, you know, Judah's sin um, is to say that this is this is them jettisoning. I think that's the word, um, you know, getting rid of the worship of God. 
and the fear and love and trust and God, um, and instead saying, you know, we're going to hedge our bets. We're going to, we're going to bet it all on Egypt instead. Um, I mean, maybe because they've got more gods, maybe because they're, you know, they, they they didn't just lose Cairo. I mean, is that the capital of, e- I don't know the capital of Egypt at that point. Memphis, maybe. I Memphis? don't know. That's in Tennessee. There is a Memphis, Tennessee. Also Texas. The capital of Egypt, whatever it was at this time. <laughs> uh, it hasn't just fallen. That's right. So clearly their gods must be doing a better job of protecting them than, than Yahweh is of protecting us. So, I mean, that whatever, whatever it comes down to, it's, it's the, the people have lost their identity. They've lost their way. Um, they've forgotten that they are the glory of, of God's, you know, of, of God's presence here on earth and that light for the Gentiles, that, that light that is supposed to shine into the darkness so that all like a beacon for humanity that they would come and that they would, they would, uh, bask in the glory of the Lord. Um, they've forgotten that. And, uh, so we would do well as Christians also um, to not be afraid uh, to give an answer for the hope that is in us uh, of he who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right. Right. Well, and I think, I mean, they, it's like they've lost their priestly function as, yeah. as interceding for the world. Yes. And when they join the world, then not only do they suffer as the people of God, but the, the world, world suffers, suffers with them. Right. And I mean, I think you see the importance of the that priestly function of God's people then and still today. The other account that, that was brought to mind was when when and I don't, he does this twice. Abram, Abraham goes to Egypt yeah. and what does he do? He passes off his wife as his sister. His sister yeah. Pharaoh commits adultery with her. And what happens? Pharaoh receives judgment. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think there's, there maybe is a parallel there where you, huh. and, and what is, and it's interesting because the Pharaoh there calls Abram back and says, why'd you lie to me? Go and pray yeah. for me. You know, go back to sure. that intercessory role, <laughs> that priestly function. So that the judgment stops here, the people have lost it as well. And and again, Egypt is receiving the judgment along with them. How important is it for us as the church to hold on to the truth, to continue in that priestly role? I think there's, there's probably a lot to chew on there that we <laughs> right. don't have time for this morning. But I think we've been in about nine different books of the Bible yeah, today, you know? Yeah. So, so Pastor Beck, we do have about two minutes left on the morning here. <laughs> and, and, and man, there, there really is a lot here in Jeremiah 43. Sure. It's, it's amazing to see how in these sometimes neglected chapters of scripture, just how much there is for us. As you think about these words, how would you summarize them? How do you, how do we see Christ in a chapter like this? Right. Well, first of all, I'll say this is that if you want to, if you want a glimpse of the human condition uh, from Adam and Eve's fall all the way until, you know, you yourself looking in the mirror this morning, um, you can't do much worse than, uh, or you can't, you could do a lot worse. There it is. Then look at Jeremiah chapter 43 uh, and, and to see God's people who willfully um, and knowingly, um, they tell a lie about God's word and they reject God's word and then they flee to Egypt. So dear Christian friends, as, as we oftentimes reject God's word as we want nothing to do with, well, we know what God has said and, and we just say, well, I'll listen to something else or my own opinion or, or whatever. Um, repent. That's, that's the call of Jeremiah today is to repent. Uh, but the good news, the gracious news for us is that Christ comes not just for judgment, but he comes for mercy, right? That's why we fix our eyes on, on Christ, on the cross. That's why we always look to the fact that, uh, that Jeremiah, even the weeping prophet who was uh, endured all kinds of scorn and shame and suffering. That's why Jeremiah was able to still continue to, to hear the word of the Lord and to preach the word of the Lord is because he looked for the day when Jesus would take away his sins. And so can we, we can look to the fact that Christ has come into the world um, to redeem this people, to, to cast down, to throw down all of the idols of this world and to bring us uh, to the place where we can look to him with eyes, not just of faith, but one day also of sight.
Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us this morning with Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 13. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. My absolute pleasure, sir. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah or comments on the series, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app. The open mic feature there allows you to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.